Podcast season two. That's right, we are back again. And this week, you've seen by the title, I'm joining an incredible guest, fresh off the market, freshly engaged. Sorry, ladies, a handsome bloke, multiple national championships, including many, many wins, especially under 23s level. He's a 2020 Olympian claiming a silver medal at Tokyo. He is also a massive blokes ambassador and he has possibly the biggest set of quads I've ever seen. Ryan Owens, welcome to the podcast. How are you, bud? Uh, great, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on it. Mate, pleasure. Thank you for answering my text. I feel like I'm on Eurovision because I'm calling into... Where is it now? You're in Spain, isn't it? Whereabouts? I'm in, I'm in Mallorca, yeah. Uh, not so sunny Palma, Mallorca at the moment. So. <laughs> okay, well, as long as you don't give Britain zero points in the Eurovision, then we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, yeah, we need all the help we can get at the moment. So, I, rec- I reckon we could be the only people competing and we still come second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm maybe behind Russia. I think we beat Russia, but that's that's controversial. We don't discuss that here. This is a happy space. We keep that space. <laughs> I know I've got you for a limited time because you're a busy guy, you're trading out in Mallorca like we've just literally said, you've got a few special occasions to run through after this so we're going to do a quick version of the usual quickfire questions, I've just gone for the big three, Uh, first of all is it acceptable to drink a cold cup of tea that you forgot about? Uh, I've actually put one back in the microwave before and it was not as bad as I thought it would be so that's that's awful (laughs) Normally, normally I'm more. I lean more on the kind of like I finish the tea and then I go to take an extra sip and there's nothing left and that is the biggest disappointment you can possibly imagine. Second only to half the biscuit falling in. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, so we'll go. Yes, under circumstances, that's what we'll do. Right. What is your favourite bit of memorabilia you've ever collected, like stash or kit, from your journeys as a professional track cyclist? Um. Yeah, it's a funny one actually. I got like I've still got a poster on my um wall from when i was a kid with chris hoy and it's funny because we've all, all met chris hoy now and we've all got posters of him on the wall but yeah it's like a signed poster from him and i think bradley wiggins and a few others like that as well and it's uh, that one's lasted the test of time so Dennis, that's the pretty elite of the elite in british cycling to get a sign in your poster so that's pretty good yeah yeah back, i think it was when i was about eight eight or ten <laughs> or something at a track race so yeah i can't, it, it it's weird to meet them now, you know. <laughs> is it weird to be like a friendship level with them when they're like, all right, Ryan, how are you getting on? Yeah, it is strange, sort of like <laughs> you see them at the track and they've like followed your, what you're doing now, like in the same way you used to do to them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it is a strange, strange feeling. Amazing. And last but not least, if there's one bit of sports memorabilia you could get your hands on, what would it be? Would it be like a shirt from a football player? Would it be a helmet from a racing driver? Uh, yeah, it'd probably be... I mean, he's just left now, so maybe I don't know. It'd be in the, it'd be in the past, but probably a Bamiyang shirt from the FA Cup final. Uh, really, that was one of like the best performances I've seen um, <laughs> from from an Arsenal team until, yeah, coming back recently again. Like in recent history, anyway, one of the best performances yeah. I've seen from Arsenal. So, um, yeah, yeah, and, and his game there was a blinder. So yeah, I definitely want that. That's a strong answer. That's a passionate Arsenal fan as well to still be an Aubameyang supporter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's like a um, it's a mutual separation. We're both happy to see each other do well. So. It's like a civil breakup. You're like we're just happy. We're happy that it happened, but we're also happy it's over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right there we go. So that's a quick, brief, quick fire. When we're in a hurry, just like you speeding along, that's how we get it done. So Ryan, I was planning out the rules. I was planning out the layout of the podcast, and there was one question that just kept burning at me ever since I started this podcast and I knew I was getting you on. And it's, how do cyclists manage to buy trousers with the sheer size of quads they have in proportion to the rest of their body? Because I wanted to say, so I come I come from a motor racing background, right? So I've seen Chris Hoy race a motor, a motor vehicle, a car. Yeah. And they had to specially design the car around the guy's quads. So like every yeah. other one of their drivers had like a seat bucket that was like an extra two inches thick because they had to lower the car for Chris Hoy's quads. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. He's a big, he's, he is huge as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, great question. I have been known to, um, I, I hate shopping. I should preface it with that. Like, um, it's a stressful experience from start to finish. It's not, I, I take no enjoyment out of it at all. Um, I've been known to go into like a changing room with like 10, 15 pairs of jeans and then come out and like, hand them off to the four <laughs> member staff on the other side uh to hang them back up again uh yeah they're not they're not the easiest things to find i spend most of my life in tracksuit bottoms um but 
on the odd time that I do, uh, I found some good workarounds. Generally speaking, anything with stretchy fabric is is good. It always makes you look like you're wearing skinny jeans, but it's the <laughs> only way. So I've got like a loyal pair from Zara that as long as they don't discontinue it, it's a big stress <laughs> out of my life for now. Man, um, that must be a man thing. I think every I reckon every man has that one pair of jeans for that one shot that they just keep going back to. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like I don't even think about it anymore. I've got three different colors of the same pair of jeans. And then... Um, yeah, the, the bigger challenge is suit trousers because um, they normally Oof. have even you can't get stretchy ones really. Mm. There's no giving them. So the only solution I had to that was when I was on holiday in Vietnam, I got some tailored for me. So they were like made from scratch. Um, nice. And they were they were done really well. So they're they're a goer. But if I need another another suit now, it's not exactly <laughs> they're not not as many. Um, it's not as easy as going to the nearest Zara for that. So yeah. I was gonna say you've just sold everybody that because everybody knows sees you in a suit. Is that gonna be the same suit from the last time? You're like, no, no, of course not. Yeah, I think I'll have to see if he's still got my measurements and send him an email or something. <laughs> I love the thought of you going to a tailor and be like, yeah, so 32 inch waist, about 38 inch ass, and then oh, we'll do 56 inch quads. Yeah, you got that. And you're like, because <laughs> how tall are you? You're about the same height as me. You know, you're like five eight, five nine. You know, yeah, five eight. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. So it's not even like you've got length to deal with as well. Like a fifty six inch quad, and then I went to stop there as well. So yeah, it's it's not it's not a good shape. Like it's, it's, a, tough, <laughs> it's a tough situation to be dealt. Um, but yeah, yeah at least, you at least you've got the abs to go with it, man. I just look like a square. I don't suit suits at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, yeah. As I say, you find your solution um and you don't stray too far from your lane i think that's a, that would be my advice on that front mate a, a, a pair of jean, jeans for supply you need to check out i had to get them because just because of rugby legend london this isn't even sponsored so if you are listening to this legend london sponsor the boys because i'm giving you free promo legend london they do really they're like athletic type jeans they're like you yeah, say yeah. like really stretchy fabric I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna note that down on my phone i'll put it in the blog group chat i'll be like right lads ryan and i've been discussing <laughs> comfortable jeans if uh, if zara ever like let me down tremendously and discontinue <laughs> that range then i'll be on to them see now i've got you a sponsorship bidding war now you're gonna have zara and legend london be like we'll give you this many pairs of jeans and you they'll give you this many pairs of jeans i, I don't think i'm the look that zara is going for to be honest <laughs> mate if mate the brand the, as a marketer the brand in that could go if our jeans can fit his quads we can we can fit anybody <laughs> That's what I mean. It's like you know, like the durability test when you see like them doing. They have these stupid adverts where like two cars pull a pair of yeah. jeans apart. Just have you and just test and just see what happens. There's a. It's funny <laughs> you say that. There's a guy. Uh, he's like the famous uh, track cyclist. He's used in all the pictures of big quad. He's called Robert yeah. Forsman, a German guy. Yeah, he yeah, start, yeah. He started like a TikTok series where um, <laughs> it's him versus jeans. <laughs> and like he's literally just trying on different pairs of jeans but he's really somehow hit the jackpot with some some kind of pool of watches over there in germany and he gets millions of views on these so, i was gonna say that's yeah. the most tiktok friendly sounding content i've ever heard <laughs> yeah he's even got like a set intro that comes on before every episode of, of robert Forsman versus jeans so uh, well, i know what i'll be doing this evening when you're out doing <laughs> When you're out on special missions in in Mallorca, I'll be watching just guys ripping jeans and TikTok. Right, so we're going to go to the very, very start. How did you find track cycling? Did it stem from other forms of cycling and go to there? Or was it other sports and then, you know, you go to a, you hit a uni or you hit a club and somebody goes, oh, we do this thing over here. Because I know not every high school has a velodrome, so. Yeah, it was... Um... It was just, so for me, it was, it was a family link, right? right. So um, initially... My granddad was mad cyclist. Like he'd go out for even into his sort of seven early seventies, he'd be do like hundred miles over the weekend or something. And as a kid, that's like you're just looking at this like <laughs> your granddad is this hero. My granddad is a god. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like and then um so then my dad my dad did it as well, a bit more competitively than my granddad who just like did it for the love of riding his bike. In fact, I'll I'll jump in with a story, it'll be an interesting one for the the podcast that was um when my granddad, um, he was uh, he was in the military. When he met my nan, uh, they met at like a dance, like a military dance where he was stationed in Stockfold, which is near where I grew up in Bedfordshire. And uh, but his family were up in Liverpool, uh, and that's where he was originally. He he, he was living and coming from, and uh, he'd ride from Liverpool to Stockfold in Bedfordshire, which is like south of. Um, <laughs> 
whatever, yeah, south, uh, south of Milton Keynes, Bedford kind of way, 50 mile north of London. So he'd, ride, he'd do that ride like overnight if he had to. Um, to get there the in time for hundred miles. Yeah, yeah, it's like ridiculous, and he'd do that just to get there in time for the the dance when he was in the when he when he'd been taken away from his station, he was back at home. He he'd, uh, he'd commit to from the end of work, getting on his bike, riding down to the dance, and then yeah, that's, that's how they uh, that's how they got they met and got on. So it's kind of been like that. Probably my family wouldn't have been together without a bike, right? It wouldn't have right. it wouldn't have even happened. So from there. It, my dad did it as a competitive cyclist, um, not professionally, but at a good level, like a really high level. There used to be like um, grass track racing used to be a massive thing at country fairs and things like that before right. before they, I, I was going to say before they got the sheepdogs and things like that, but that was <laughs> definitely before the, before the cycling. And then going back for like, and then coming back to me, I, I was always on the TV around the house and everything. And I guess they waited for me to ask, you know, and, and I could taste interest. I saw it and said, you know, like I'd like to give that a go. Um, I started off doing doing road racing or like road cycling and mountain biking. They were the easiest things to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I was only ever good at them when they were short. So I went to track and then I realized I was only ever good at track when it went really slow and ended in a sprint. <laughs> so then I went to sprint cycling when I was about 16. Um, I was doing it for about three years and then realized I was only ever good at that when it was like just going off of the start line and like as explosive as possible. And that's kind of by training that I was in niche position and that's kind of got me the, the, the go ahead green light to, to join team GB. Then when I was 19, I didn't get on Academy at all when I was younger, um, mm-hmm. applied every year and I just never quite met the level, but eventually after going to uni, dropping out, giving it a go full time for a little while. I finally got on the squad when I was 19 and, and yeah, I've been professional for six years now, six and a half years. Congratulations. Sounds like you got the last laugh over the academy lot. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are with me now, so no, not like I've just been kind of blended into the team. Yeah. <laughs> I was, oh, I thought you meant the coaches. I was like, do you ever just walk past them and go, not bad for a kid who couldn't cut it at like 17? <laughs> There's some still involved, yeah. <laughs> I, I always think that was like, for like, when I think of like rugby scouts and things like that, it's like you hear about players that got cut. Like yeah. Hugh, Hugh Jones from Scotland is a famous example. He got cut. He was yeah, on a gap yeah. year, got picked up by a South African professional rugby player. You're great. What are you doing over here? And so yeah. you must just think, like, if you're the age grade, like every time he walks through the corridor, you must just put your head in your hands, like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. Like, I've had some people. Um, to, to be fair, I've had some really interesting conversations where you know someone's actually just come up to me later on and gone, "I'm really sorry. I was completely wrong about you." And like mm-hmm. I, I, that, that really almost caught me by shock because you don't hear people kind of admit when they made a mistake that often, like especially when especially directly to the person, but like, yeah, really respected that when it, when it happened. So it, yeah, I mean, ev- there's a lot of stories of that. And sometimes it's just time and place and fit, you know, you mm-hmm. needed like, I joined along with a new coach and three other people, which was the biggest academy intake they'd had in years. Um, and it was just a fresh start and they had a different viewpoint. And I, I kind of aligned more with that viewpoint at that point in time. And, yeah, it's crazy to think how close it came to not even happening, but I'm very glad it did. So. There's a there's a book, and I spoke about this with uh, Callum, you know, Callum Circuit in the books chat. I spoke okay. this with him, and there's this one book, and it's all about the chance, and it goes down to little things such as, like, what you don't know is you could live on a house in a street that is the division point between a school with a high uptake for sport and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you could be sent to a completely different school and never follow that path. So yeah, it's like when you say, when you think of all these little things that make up an athlete, it's... There's so much, not luck, because nobody ever gets to the Olympics or a professional sports person by luck, but there is just chance that's involved. Things have, yeah, 100% things have to go your way somewhere along the line. Like, even your parents, you have to have parents that are interested in driving you across the country to races and things like that. It's it's not like, uh, you know, some of the more popular sports, like football and rugby, where you could have a local club that you could join just down the road and then they compete against other local clubs within like a half hour radius or something like that. And that would be your first chance. Mm-hmm. Like there's, especially at the time there was one indoor, two indoor tracks, Manchester and Newport, both a three hour drive away. And the rest were like outdoor tracks, maybe an hour drive away that you'd 
half the time you'd go and it would rain and you'd just be sat in the car all day. So, yeah, it was, uh, you had to have some committed parents as well as kids, um, passionate kids that, you know, to, to find that channel to, to get to this point. It, yeah, it's amazing if you think about it, that it, it, just all the things that have to go in your favor along the way to, to make it a reality. So. And show it, show it to mums and dads as well. Kids, yeah, kids will never, kids will never appreciate it at the time. But when you get to like our age, you'll look back and think, mum and dad did a lot of like unnecessary work for themselves <laughs> purely yeah. on behalf of their kid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was in tennis. I did tennis until I was like fourteen. Oh yeah. And the the amount of tennis sessions they took me to, and then one day I just said. Now I've had enough of this. One of these cyclists, <laughs> and you must think, how could they do that? Like I've invested all of that time. Your mum's holding like a new like, four hundred quid racket, being like, "Oh, yeah. that's nice." <laughs> they never really second guessed it. So they were great like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, you get that perspective when you get a bit older, and you start you start thinking about it a bit more. It's uh, it is incredible. Well, shout out, Mister and Mrs. Mister and Mrs. Owens. You've turned out a GB athlete, so the drive was worth it. <laughs> do you ever race the? Do you ever think you could race the car now? Do you ever think like off the start line? You're like, I reckon I could get to about forty kilometers faster than faster than them. Well, I think um definitely not forty kilometers, right? And it also <laughs> depends on the car. I think I could take like a beat up Suzuki van <laughs> or something. <laughs> I don't think I could. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd have much chance against much else. But um yeah, there's a there was a stat that everyone loved going around a little while back that in like the first rev. Um, we're like the a track sprinter will put out more torque than a sort of entry level Ferrari or something like that. I think it's like four hundred and fifty newton meters or something. Um not power. We get like one horsepower at best <laughs> or something like that. That'd be good going. So Please uh, please just put that as your as your new Instagram bio. More torque more torque than a Ferrari in the first like someone, point. Someone 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 like misquoted it and said more power than a Bugatti once and they got ripped to shreds. So I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna shred close to that. I'll just send this in just like you see when the Olympics come around, I'll just do some retagging about like, you wouldn't believe what Ryan Owen said. <laughs> yeah, just cut that out, yeah. Oh, the, nothing beats a sports headline than a three-second podcast clip taken completely out of context. <laughs> <laughs> Where could those possibly go wrong? <laughs> right, right. So you got to age sixteen. You finally like had a shot on the track. You're you've now gone yeah. around once or twice and think this is good. So as you said, you developed more into like a niche of the role. How does that come about? Like as you said, you found yourself. Um, you've got the really explosive power. You get there. Like, do the do the team just sort of keep like just? Do they look at you and just go, I'll just keep going around and we'll see? Or do you kind of clock it yourself and go, I actually want to try the first bit because I'm really, really good at that? So everyone, um, like the main event that we do, the team sprint, everyone mm -hmm. has to get off the line. So everyone has yeah. to train starts to be able to, even to follow from the third rider up. Like you have, you start higher up the track, so you've got a bit of downhill to use to get speed, but it's not. You still need to be really strong to get that gear off the line. You only have one mm -hmm. gear to choose, right? So the gear that gives you max speed is the gear that you have to get going off the line. Um, is and that then, is yeah. that for us non bike aficionados? Is that like what we'd consider gear six on like a normal bike? Where it's like uh, the harder the, harder the be, push route. It would be terms. closer. Yeah. So if say you're driving your car, it'd be like starting your car in sixth gear. Like right, it, okay. doesn't, right. it doesn't get going quickly. Like you'd have to really feather it off the line, or like yeah. so. Um, yeah, and it's like that. Like, whereas if you started in first gear, you get off the line really quickly, but you, you know, you hit the rev limiter really early, and you, your top speed would be like thirty mile an hour or something like that. So it's the same. It's the same concept on the bike. Um, so we all train that, and we get splits broken down from our whole lap. So it will be ten meters, twenty five meters, quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, and then like. You know, we'll have a video trace everything. So we're, we're, everything is being analysed, and you see from that where your strengths are, where your, you know, how you stack up against other people. And I originally, I was a man one, which is the starter out the gate. Do you do one lap, right. the shortest mm -hmm. race? I actually went into two for a while because, which is two laps, and I, I that was just off the back of just finding some speed a bit earlier on. I was a little bit older than some of the other guys on academy at the time um a bit stronger and just develop that speed a bit quicker but as time went on building into tokyo it's sort of been about two years out um myself and jack carlin um he was in one at the time i was in two 
it just looked like from the way that the times were stacking up and splits and things that I could probably do a better one and he could probably do a better two, even though we'd been right. trading those opposite positions for two years. So, yeah, we made, or us along with the coaches, made the decision to make that switch. Um, and it, it ended up being a great decision because he's, uh, he's, he's gone far quicker than I ever went in two and I've gone quicker than he went in one. So we've really found like a... <laughs> Yeah, we found our optimum positions off of that. So it is a bit of trial and error um, and testing with different training along, alongside. But yeah, you, you just, they will find the optimal position and the optimal place to use your strengths within the team, really. Right. Well, that's, well that sounds like it's good. I want to talk, I was going to do this later, but it's really cool. And like, so you, you talk about there, like you were two years into what is effectively a four-year plan. Because I imagine that's how the GB team run, they go, the, the end, the start is the previous Olympics. And then we go, we are now purely focused on yeah, four years. Yeah, all our funding is based on that as well. Yeah. Like, so, you know, we will be allocated funding for those different blocks. So it's almost like slate wipe clean. You right, take okay. lessons, but yeah, you start again. Yeah. Um, so when they come to you and go after two years of practicing that one bit, and they go, mm -hmm. so we're going to take the two of you and just swap you around. Because you must, because I've yeah. seen team sprint and you are millimeters apart, wheel to wheel. Yeah. How do you, because there was, there was examples of that in the Olympics last year where there was like, like riders nudged each other and they hit due to the yeah. lack of communication. Did, what was the team's reaction? They went, we're going to change the order and you've just been running it for two years almost daily or weekly or. Yeah, it was, I don't know, it wasn't bad actually. Um, I think in part because it followed the Commonwealth Games. So yeah. We race as GB most of the time, and then we get pulled into separate teams for Commonwealth <laughs> Games. So it's the only time we ever race each other, uh, like on opposite teams rather than as together. So Jack's Scottish. He went uh, rode for Team yeah, Scotland. Course, yeah. I rode for Team England, and Team England needed someone to go into man one, uh, the, the first position in the team. So I rode in that position there um, and had a decent go of it, went quite well at Commonwealth Games. So I'd kind of already for a short amount of time tested the water with it and knew that it would be something close for me. I suppose I've like Jack and I spoke about it at the time and it just it just made sense. Like we both knew it was probably the right thing to do, but we didn't have the evidence for that until later in the year. And um I think it was probably like the third or fourth race by even like the third or fourth race we were already doing better in our respective positions and than, than each other had before yeah. so yeah it was it was surprisingly harmonious so there's like there's always there's always competition in the team right so yeah. there's often six of us going for three spots in the team um and then you often find that if someone has tried their hand at one position for long enough and it's they're not breaking into the team they'll try the hand at another one so right. you have quite you have these positions where like you think all oh, right, I've been holding this guy off. I've got the position, like it's all looking good. And then, like another Somebody one, else throw the hat in. It's like, oh no, no, I've got another one to compete with. Um, they were like, I, love, I love the thought of you seeing somebody training and you just like slowly like trudging back to the gym, be like, right back we go, <laughs> like dragging, like dragging the bike behind. You, like, oh, I've got to do this again. Yeah, it, you know what? It's healthy for the competition. Like people, you see it in football. It only makes you better. Yeah, yeah, you see it. Uh, the the most publicized examples are probably like um f1 teammates pushing each other mm -hmm. and nfl quarterbacks they often like they'll have a quarterback competition and I you know they're a massive nfl fan yeah wow that's Sam kind Fan, of, is it no I, yeah 49ers it's kind of taken a back seat a little bit since i became an athlete because the three o'clock like yeah, nights I, are not youtube highlights are the one yeah yeah <laughs> so it worked better before i became like this became my job but uh yeah so yeah it's those like yeah it just made sense it made sense and and it very quickly proved to be right which you know, smoothed over everything really does that does that gain media so like a good example you just spoke about f1 drivers there's so like you know if say i don't know tomorrow what pick a driver hamilton say hamilton got punted out tomorrow and went george russell's number one hamilton is going to be retired whatever we decide that would yeah. gain huge media traction from the world of motorsport. Yeah. Like within the sport. In the world of track cycling, if somebody saw GB have changed the running order, 
yeah. with like with the Dutch, with the Australians, would they all be hanging around the edge of the village and going, "What's going on here? Why is this happening?" There would, yeah, it would be. You wouldn't get the media attention that other sports get, but and you'd maybe only get like a couple of hardcore fans outside of the sport would really sort of quiz it properly. Yeah. But uh, and the commentators, like Chris is one of the commentators now, Chris Hoy, and he's yeah. he's really knowledgeable, so he's like fully in the loop with what's going on. Um, so he would he would flag it. The other teams would definitely be interested. Like we've seen other teams switch lineups around, and it's always interesting. You think to see what people can do in different positions, especially the the man one position. It's um it's as pure as you can get in terms of timing. It's not affected by anybody else. Um, you're That's just going out of the yeah. gate. So the man two position. The time is affected by how fast man one is traveling when they pull off because that's how fast you start your lap and that has an impact on everything knocking backwards but man one's just just execution of a, a practice technique almost it's really pure really simple so whenever someone drops into that there's always a bit of like attention around following them just to see what see what they can pull out because uh it's as you say there's no hiding it's, mm -hmm. Well, from what I what what I see is what I like to call myself an Olympic casual cycling casual fan because <laughs> it's as soon as the Olympics run, I'm like, this is amazing, this is the best sport ever. Like you yeah. know, when you're watching gymnastics, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe that girl's done that. That's outrageous. Yeah. And I'm sat here thinking, I pulled my hamstring going up the stairs this morning. <laughs> but like, it sounds like man one is almost. I imagine man four is maybe the most difficult. Man three is the, the in the to the. Team pursuit will be four. We have three. Yeah, in ours. yeah, yeah. Teams, sorry, yeah. Are you always getting confused? So I imagine man three is probably they're kind of like the face of it because they're the ones that cross the line. But it sounds like yeah. man one has the most difficult job in terms of pure grunt work, almost as I describe it. Yeah, it, as you go back through the team, each role has different challenges. Man yeah. one is the. Um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, before the, before your teammates listen, I'm not accusing anybody of coasting in the Olympics. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> um, it's the uh, so man one is the technical one because you right. have to get out of the gate and that's you know like a you have to time it you have to you know the wheel you you've got these slick tires on a wooden track they don't grip all that well so you have to make sure that you're not you go forward enough to gain enough momentum in the gate but you don't go too far forward that you you spin your wheel like you're like yeah. you're in a car and you, you that's the big killer of time so you have to make sure you execute that cleanly then you've got the strength to get the and the acceleration to get the bike up to speed. Man two, they often leave a gap and then they have to drive into that gap. Right. And what that allows them to do is I'm on a smaller gear than them. So I'll slow, I'll not slow down, but I'll hit a peak speed of 70, 72. They can rush through into the slipstream at 76, 77. So they time it that I swing off and they're coming through at 77 kilometers an hour into their lap, which gives them a much quicker lap. So they have to like judge the gap and let it go and then be able to rush back in again. And that's quite tricky in itself. Yeah. They have to bring the team to top speed. And then man three is probably the simplest job in like a technical aspect, but it's the hardest job in a physical aspect. Um, mm -hmm. You look at any of us in an interview after a race and like, I'm cheaper and I'm the one chatting on the microphone and the two they like take the microphone and they point it at like the second guy. He's not looking quite as good for wear. And then they point it at the third guy and he's got his head in the bin or something. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I love yeah. the, I love the thought of like him in the middle and you two are just holding him up just out with the camera so you can't see it. He's not actually got his feet on the ground. <laughs> They're quite good with it now. Like they um there's one at Commonwealth Games, like Phil, Hines and Joe are next to me. No. And they're both slumped over their bikes. I'm feeling absolutely fine because my effort was 17 seconds. And Jill Douglas, the commentator, keeps going to she's me. Lovely. I love her. Yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. And she's so good at her job as well. There's so much unseen behind the scenes. But she'll um she'll like ask me the question. She'll point it at Joe. She'll get nothing <laughs> from him. She'll come back to me again and then go to the next one. I just ended up taking all of them that time. But yeah, that's quite reflective of they're all physically really hard. They're all maximal, but one of them, obviously, you go much, much deeper into your, your reserves and it takes a lot longer to recover from. So, 
That's incredible. I, back on the story of Jill Douglas, I was helping out with Dotty Aid and she was a guest on one of the podcasts. Oh, okay. It was ladies' night. It was going to be had Jill Douglas, Gabby Logan, and uh, I think it was Lorraine that night. Lorraine was that night. Yeah, Lorraine Kelly. Yeah. So you can imagine, you can imagine that that chat room was a bit, a bit of fun. Yeah. And then it's like, and then like you said, Jill Douglas was just, just like she was like calmness personified, even when things were just going a bit. Yeah, we were trying to get the behind the scenes sort of she's just like oh well this is feels like working for the bbc i was like oh that's good (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's brilliant like um yeah the bbc as a whole are really 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 nice Mm. to work with as well like they're um they've sort of as a group sometimes when we're finished racing we'll go out for dinner with them and stuff like that as well it's 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 not that kind of horrible press (laughs) trying to get the riders kind of atmosphere you get in um in, in sort of more high profile um sports year to year i suppose like it's a lot more of a friendly family atmosphere within within the circuit on the whole so that's good at least you can get like you don't feel like you're on edge whenever they're around so that's good i suppose no there's a couple of names you look out for which i won't <laughs> i won't name when that. chris always walking past you like just not yeah. saying anything no, 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 he's fine he's fine but there's a few that there's a few that the warning bells go off and you know that you're going to get asked about some random controversy that you have nothing to do with but <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, otherwise you're cool. Yeah. When they when they hit the political questions, you're like, I'm a track cyclist, not a clue. Yeah. No. It's normally about something in the past that happened ten years before you joined the team or something. I've actually seen someone get chased across the car park by a said person <laughs> once. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there, 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 there are there, there are a couple, but it's nothing like it's nothing like what I can't wait because I know, I know the first question I'm going to ask you when we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> You'll recognise the name. <laughs> that's brilliant oh that's so good so i want to ask you so you made you made a really good point on this i feel like i've given you a set of notes because you actually have led it so nicely into other questions but so you were talking about how there's like three hours between the tracks and stuff like that and it's like there's not local clubs yeah. in each team how is the is there like a club level format for cycling like you said you compete as gb a lot commonwealth yep. games you sort of disperse do you have like clubs as the same as abamyang has I picked an awful choice for an international team, Gabon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. have you set up some work to do there, but you, you pulled it off. Mate, FIFA, FIFA 14 knowledge of the flag, yeah. that was it. <laughs> Gabon, so he's there, but he's also got Arsenal. Yeah. Do you guys have like a, a registered club that you're assigned to? Like, are you are you Ryan Owens yeah. from GB and... Da-da-da? No, so uh, not professionally. Um, right. So I'm still a member of my club that I joined so I should preface this. I joined the first club I joined was Well in Wheelers. They were like a, just a you know local cycling club, um, yeah. and but they've also grown, especially recently, to be massive. Like they've had some really good riders come through their ranks, including um, Laura Kenny. Um, so <laughs> not, not, you know, not a bad, not a bad rider. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so they had two of us at the games this year from the club, which was great. Um, from them, when I started specialising in sprint disciplines i joined scs racing in london right um scs has always been a bit like no one really knows what it means but i think it's southeast sprinters or something <laughs> but we're just scs racing it is no yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so we we were um it was set up by a group of friends that were training at the london uh, olympic velodrome shortly after it opened to the public um and it was great it was great fun to be a part of and i'm still really good friends with a lot of the guys from the team since then, they've grown to be a decent-sized team now. It's not just a group of mates. It's like it's actually a pretty big squad across youth disciplines and everything. Um, but yeah, like I've, I'm still a still a member of them. But we we're in an interesting and slightly precarious position almost in that to do our job, we have to be in the GB team. Like if right. I fell out of the top, say six riders in the country, um, there's not. I can't go sign for a road team like some of the endurance guys because there's not like a, a like a team sport. sky type thing. Yes, that yeah. like um, the road circuit has you have your your Olympic teams, you have your pro tour teams who would be the ones you'd go see the ride the Tour de France. So you have got yeah. Team Ineos um, and Quickstep and a bunch of others. Um, team Sky is not a thing anymore. Team Sky all the time, so they're, they're still getting money out of the sponsorship. Um, but yeah, the more free, um, more free promo on the over an eight podcast. You are welcome. <laughs> yeah, if Sky want to sponsor you. Yeah, then Sky want to come in. Um, 
but yeah, it's um, they they have a bit more, uh, a few more options. Like if they fall out of the endurance track team, if they're decent on the road, then they could sign for even a continental continental team who race at the British Pro races, and right. they'll be able to offer a contract to some of the better riders on the team and that as well. So they have a lot more of a professional structure. Whereas sprint cyclists, you're on the national team or you're out of a job and you're looking for something. Wow. something else. <laughs> So yeah, there's been some scary examples of that in the past where people people have found out short notice that they're gone. Um, whereas they they put in some more measures to make it a bit more. You get more warning now, um, mm-hmm. so you can start to set something up. But yeah, I'm still uh, I, I still love being a part of that whole team. I'm still in the WhatsApp chats and everything everything like that. Um, I've not been able to represent them for a long time. I won them. The national sprint championship was one year um which was really really nice to do that was once i was on the british team yeah i represented them at this the nationals and won um but other than that yeah nothing so the club circuit like on the amateur level is great like there were there you know, so many opportunities to get into cycling now that there weren't when i was coming through but um right yeah no, no professional circuit for sprinters anyway so Right, that's that's such an elite level to have to maintain your performance at then that is it's not you can go away and sort of drop off for a couple of weeks fair enough it's you're not competing week on week like a footballer but you have to be ready to go when somebody says it's time to go yeah there's no like um yeah like you know journeyman midfielder <laughs> in like league two used to be like a star player in the premier league or anything like that like there's no safety net like it, it, there's nothing so yeah it's a it's stressful in that way sometimes. I love the thought of you being like a cult hero, Seb Larson of track cycling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that is honestly incredible. I cannot. I really struggle to wrap my head around having to maintain such an elite performance. And now you've fed me nicely. You've just you've just won a national championship. You represent them. You're now in the Olympic squad. Mm-hmm. What does a four year prep look like? So I'm not asking you to go day by day through a four year, but how does yeah. that feel? Well, first of all, we'll go right from the very start. Do you know four years in advance going, you're in the Olympic team for next year, like you are going, or is it, we've got a completely clean slate, as far yeah. as we're concerned, we've got four empty spots on a plane, it's now your time to prove it? Pretty much the latter, yeah. Right. So uh, there were six of us, as I said, coming out of uh, Rio into uh, the Tokyo cycle. So that was it, end of 2016. Right. Um, and then, yeah, like we, the first two years, kind of building the foundation so you always have to qualify for the events that then allow you to qualify for the olympics and that starts like three years out effectively so you're those first few events you're trying to yeah you're testing different teams out and things like that so you might rotate the squad a lot more and you you'd sort of be compared against different people at different positions and to find find what the best combination is and that kind of thing uh, gaining some experience and everything as well. Like we were young riders coming through. Um, the more experience, the more times you can be put in that race situation, the more natural it's going to feel. So it's, it's great to get that. Olympic qualification starts two years out, and that's when they start to knuckle down and try and start finding. There's a bit less sort of like giving everybody a chance to prove themselves and a bit more like we'll take the fastest team at any one of these races so that competition shifts more to in training for selection right and the races you know it's more about where you finish to qualify the spot at that point for the games because only eight teams go to the games for team sprint yeah and then um yeah we went through this time into 2020 the uh olympics got postponed just after we'd pretty much been told like the team is provisionally set um the olympics got postponed an extra year um and we wouldn't find the slate was not wiped completely clean but pretty clean and then we wouldn't find out that we were racing in the olympics in i think that we raced on like the 3rd of august um we'd find out we're racing on the 28th of may so it's only two three months before that you actually find out no two and a bit months before you actually find out your spot is is secured um so yeah it's a you, you fight until the end for, how do, for that. How does that call go when you get that call on the, in May? Uh, this time was 
uh, fairly, we, we kind of kept a pretty open line of communication the whole way through. So it wasn't a shock. It shouldn't, if it's done right, it shouldn't really ever be a shock. There's yeah. often, sometimes there's situations where people are really, really close and then, then it can be a bit controversial, but generally it should, you should know if you're going and you should know if you're potentially like a long shot and you can, you'll still be obviously disappointed if it doesn't go your way, but you shouldn't be angry at someone for making the wrong decision or something like that. That's the ideal circumstance. Yeah. We had that this time. It was handled really well. Um, the time before was a lot closer and there was a bit more controversy around it with Rio. Um, I was only selected as reserve, but there were like four of us kind of in the hunt for two spots mm-hmm. then. And it, it was tight. But um, yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's like a phone call or um, they've had it as an email before as well. But <laughs> um, yeah, generally it's, yeah, as long as that line, like a line of open communication has been kept the whole time, like it's, it's a, it's a nice moment, but one that you should see coming if things have gone well. So, all right, okay, so it's not a, it's not a sit by the phone until three a.m. situation. No, um, <laughs> no, 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 not like. Do you know, do, do you know, to be fair to you, I reckon even if I, even if the coach told me to my face and went, the phone call is a formality. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, right. no, it was. It I was would, still I that. would, I would still be there at three a.m. shitting myself, going, "I'm not getting a phone call." It was, it was a hundred percent still that. Like you would, what you still, you were waiting for that day to come, and you were relieved when it happened. Um, <laughs> it was still that you wanted that kind of official. You've been selected because then the process, the really fun part of the cycle starts. Like you get your information through and you sign up and you do your accreditation for the Olympics and you get your invite down to collect your kit from um, Birmingham where they have this big sort of trying. I think, I think I've seen a few there. snapshots of it. Yeah. Yeah. Max who's involved with uh, blokes was yeah. doing some media stuff down there at the time and did some filming with people. So yeah, it's um, that's, that's like, it's a bit of a circus around the Olympics. It's not the main mm-hmm. thing it's about, but it's some really fun stuff you get to be involved in. And that kind of kicks off from the moment you're selected and not before. So That sounds incredible. And now I want to talk about the Olympics and how it changes your lifestyle. So when you get that call, mm-hmm. like how, because I know I, this might be more tracks, uh, this might be more road cycles and tracks like this, but I've seen, I've happened to be in France when the tour is on and stayed in hotels where they are and they are wheeling in their own food. They're not eating hardly any solids like does this change for you as well does like diet change i assume lifestyle just changes naturally for a professional athlete but is it does, does it become proper blinkers on when the olympics uh, is around you know what like when i was a younger athlete and even at times uh, as an older athlete i can fall into the trap of thinking i so i know i'm in this trap when i'm thinking i don't want to give myself any excuses right right so it's when i'm thinking i can't if I do that and then this doesn't go well, then it's because I did that. So I just best not do that at all. Say be, be going out for a walk or having a pub lunch or something like that yeah. instead of something better. Right? Exactly. I mean, like a steak, a steak pie instead of yeah, chicken yeah, rice. Yeah, exactly. But like one of the things I really worked on with my sports psychologist in the last year was knowing that we have a funny, we have a silly phrase, which is happy head, fast legs, right? Makes sense. And that's like, you know, I buy it. Yeah, I buy if, it. if you're deprived, if you're making like hard decisions to deprive yourself of everything, just with one thing in mind, then you're going to resent that thing by the end of the day. So mm-hmm. we really sort of, he knows that I'm more inclined to be on the more intense end of the spectrum anyway. So he, he, his effort with me was really about dialing me back and making sure that I keep the things I enjoy in so yeah. that I'm, I'm actually, you know, enjoying the process and then I'm probably more likely to go better than if I've stripped everything away and put everything on this one thing. So we did a lot of work on that. We did a lot of work on sort of seeing the perspective that it, obviously you've been working towards it for years, but it's not the be all end all and your family will still love you even if it doesn't go well and that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> so like. It gives, oh, that is some pressure you put on yourself. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got like a future beyond it, whatever happens, so that you don't think, you know, your life is all coming down to that one day. Um, right. And so having all of that support around me, and I've been really lucky to have that support, um, it really helps me to just 
treat it in the same way I would any other competition, which is as seriously as I can without it being a burden and taking away from the things that I enjoy in life. And that made me enjoy the Olympic experience just far more than I think I would have done had I just gone blinkers on, like yeah. fully focused from, from ages out. Cause I don't think anyone can really maintain that for more than like two or three weeks before you crack and then, you know, like you undo a lot of that. So yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, that was, that was beautifully put, genuinely beautifully put. Happy, happy head, fast legs. I'm going to, I want that on a t-shirt for the team. I didn't server. invent that. I'm not going to coin that. It's I like it. It's gone I through, like the, it. through the grapevine at British Cycling, but um, That's, is yeah. That, is, that a, is that a Wigan specialist that's just stayed through the I don't time? know. I don't know. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to attribute it to one person because then the real owner is going to come out and go, ah, that's me. Like, yeah. Know, your sports psychologist is just breaking like binders. He's like, I said it. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's been behind it all along. He's planted the seeds. So. In, in yeah. fairness, I want That's that's another nice question. Being a sports psych, uh, sports psychologist for you guys is good. I was going to ask you, how does it feel to represent Great Britain at the Olympics in such what is now a prestigious sport with British athletics? Because mm -hmm. we do incredibly well in the velodrome. Yeah, like consistently. It's not like we fluke it with one or two events. Like every single one of you that gets on that plane normally has a middle expectation when you're over there. Yeah. What's it there, like, yeah, what's it like right. being part of that squad? There wasn't a single um, team that wasn't expected to bring home something. Yeah. Um, and like most did again. But last time, I think I was the only rider that didn't bring home a medal last time. That was because I was reserved. This is in Rio. Yeah. I was reserved, so I was the only rider that didn't that went out there and didn't come back. You still, you're still part of that team. You're still part yeah. of that team. I was part of it, yeah, um, but in a different way. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I was in a team with Jason Kenny, and he's like, yeah, the most greatest Olympian, Olympian ever. Yeah, yeah. so and, well, and most decorated British Olympian. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So sorry, sorry, yeah, our, our event got some extra media attention just based off that. That if he won a medal in my team sprint mm -hmm. event then he would that would put him above chris uh hoy as the britain's most successful olympian ever and obviously we got silver um and so that was like a big story and, and some extra attention you didn't i didn't really think about it in the, in the heat of the moment obviously you're not thinking about it but um yeah like it's it, there, there is a big a big expectation like I mean, there's even you've even we've even had people sort of saying like uh, the fact that we won silver instead of gold is yeah. like is an underperformance when we know really like based on the way that our competition and our discipline has gone in the last four years, we got we set a national record and did the best time we've ever done. So we gave it our, our absolute best shot. But yeah, there's there's so much pressure to the extent that some people saw a silver as a failure, which is. It's on them, really, but that's how yeah. that's that's crazy. That's, the, that's their problem, not yours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're trying to find something, something there. Like, but um, yeah, so that, that's it, really. There's that big expectation around it. Um, there's no doubt it's getting harder and harder. Um, other nations have picked up on the, the the small benefits and gains and the marginal gains that British cycling have obviously put in in the past, and we're having to get more and more creative to find new ways to stay up the top on, on the podium and competitive, but that's a new challenge in a way. I suppose that's, that's how any sport evolves. There's always a pioneer and then everyone sort of realizes that that way of doing something is, is mm -hmm. the best way. And often the, the original pioneer gets uh, <laughs> swallowed up by the, by the competition again. So, yeah. Just your job to stay in front then as number one man. That's quite, quite poetic in a way. I think somebody can find a myth. Somebody at BBC can make an interesting 15-minute montage out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just ask them to make it. That's what you should it, do. Just their do story it. next time, undoubtedly, is going to be around. We have Jason's just retired and become yeah. our coach. So, um, yeah, like it's uh, now he's been the most successful Olympian as a rider. Uh, There's going to be a new sort of um, spotlight on him to see how he, how he performs as a coach. So, 
Yeah. Go on then. Give me the give me the exclusive. What's it like having Jason as a coach after being Do you ever do you ever just give him a bit of lip and just be like, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> <laughs> it is it is quite funny because he's gone from being like he was still training after the Olympics, yeah. gone from being a rider one day to coach the next. Um but he's handled it really well, yeah. He's he's yeah. always like organized and as you can imagine, competitively driven anyway. Yeah. Um and the most important thing as a rider is knowing that your coach is equally as invested as you um as long as you know that they're trying to drive you forward as much as you want to be driven forward then yeah a lot of other things fall into place and and he's definitely we 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 know that he has that so yeah he's slotted in pretty well so far this is our first sort of training camp with him at the moment it's running running fairly seamlessly <laughs> so yeah he <laughs> just in case he's on the other side of the door like yeah jason top block <laughs> <laughs> you're just yeah, looking no, off I'm... camera like did i say that right yeah <laughs> yeah he's, he's just there next to me there, just like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. good i'm glad to see is so is he, is he finding that balance between slowly filtering out from being one of the boys and going i have to sort of put the coach's hat on now and be yeah. like when, when it's time to work it's my job to now say boys it's time to get to work instead of having the laugh yeah there's gonna there's gonna be a bit of that but he's also um he's also there's a bit of a, a generation gap he he was uh, i don't want to butcher his age now but yeah he was at least about eight years old uh seven eight years older than than yeah. most of the rest of us now that are left in the team so, so 34 33 type age i think he's like 33 yeah this is really bad now he might <laughs> this is fine put it in the podcast what, what we'll do is I'll, <laughs> what we'll do is i'll google it i'll then get you to send me a voice note and we'll just cut the random so we'll yeah, just yeah, well, a clear a bit of crisp audio where he goes i think he's 33 <laughs> yeah the the important thing is he is he he's he's sort of more experienced and he's from a different generation to a lot of the team so obviously i came up on mentioned i joined academy with jack and joey truman and then there's everyone else now is younger than us um so there's already a there's a bit of an age gap there and so we were you know learning from his experience before he became a coach anyway so i think it's easier for him to transition that way than say if i at the same age as one of the other guys in the team were to suddenly become the coach have that authority you know we've we've got the same amount of experience and everything as being riders. So it'd be probably a harder transition to make, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been no trouble for him so far. So. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean by that, but that was, that was actually my last question. You summed it off nicely there. I have one more sort of dead, not serious question at all. Yeah. Does shaving your legs on the track cyclist make that difference that the boys were campaigning about for ages? Cause I remember, uh, I think it must've been 2012 when they were like, like there was such, like you guys were basically walking around Gillette shaving foam. Not you, obviously, you were there, but the boy yeah, yeah. Yeah. He actually had was... something in his contract, apparently, that many couldn't be seen in public more than like five times <laughs> without a fresh shave. Um, wow. Which I suppose is a small price to pay for a Gillette sponsorship. But um, yeah, have you. Gillette, if that's you true, I will that... shave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get another one in yeah. here. We've got Sky Gillette and um, the jeans as well. I'll, um, I'll, I'll hand in my resignation tomorrow at my daytime job if they phone by me. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, sh- so the main reason, right, is there's two main reasons. Yeah. Um, and then there's the actual reason. <laughs> <laughs> so the two main reasons are if you crash and you got hairy legs and you get burns, it's a lot easier to clean them and put stickers on, uh, stickers, blasters on. <laughs> stickers. <laughs> stickers, like gold star. God, but, I thought um, I had a sponsorship head on. You were like, yeah, we'll brand, we'll brand <laughs> the, the, the friction. Um, yeah, well, just a lot like of like a plaster on if you've not got yeah. like hair that is going to pull on and stuff like that. Second one is physio and treatment in the physio room. It's also right. easier if you've not got big hairy legs. And then the real reason is that it's one of few communities where you actually feel like an idiot if you don't have shaved legs, (laughs) but you just get laughed at and it's like, where else would this happen? Like normally it's the opposite way around, but I've come back from my post-Olympic holiday. I had five months off and like, well, five months off, I was still ticking over, but I was like five months away from the team and came back. An an Olympic holiday. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Literally. And I, I just, because I only really shave them just before races, <laughs> I'm quite lazy. It's the big job. 
and uh, so I've got a good whatever eight months of growth there right now. And uh, they look like. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Uh, no, I mean I've never watched it. I really need to. There's a there's a character in it called Roy Kent who is a parody of Roy Keane, and he's got a really hairy <laughs> chest. He's the old guy in the team, and all the young right. ones are taking the the mick out of him because he doesn't get his chest waxed like all the young ones do. <laughs> And they, they, they say, like, he's got a coolie jumper and he needs to take it off before he goes in the shower. And I'm getting all of that at the moment with my hairy legs. But they're keeping me warm here in Mallorca now. It's only 13 degrees. Um, oh, you, you wouldn't survive in Scotland, right? I'll tell you that now. Oh, no, I would not. I'm, I'm, I'm not good with the cold. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, they, they can tell you what they want, but it's just because it's a bit, it's a bit of a cult. I like this. It's like, it's now just became weird not to do it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's you've been, you know, like they say you're some of like the five people you spend the most time with, don't they? So like, yeah, yeah. If if the, if four of those five, not including my fiance, have hair, uh, <laughs> like have hairy legs, you're gonna feel like you need to have hairy legs as well. But like in our group, like everyone's bald. So. <laughs> That's brilliant, Ryan. Thank, I know you're busy. Have you got how much time have you got left before you need to be off? I uh, say. 10 minutes, probably. Right. Do you want to quickly run through under the team bus and then you can set yourself down the yeah, road to all your pals? Yeah, go on. Yeah. You're, you're a braver man than I. Thank you very much. I cannot thank you enough for this. Right. Under the team bus, really simple. First team member that comes into your mind when I ask you the question is just quick fire. If it's a right. weird question, I might ask you for a story. But Right. So, okay. exactly. We'll just get you started. Who's the most determined? Uh, It's probably me. <laughs> I'm the intense <laughs> guy. <laughs> You're the guy that's there, just like hard rock music blaring. Uh, I know. No, I like more the sound of the silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you were in a rugby change room, nobody would go near you. Yeah. <laughs> the guy just looks dead straight ahead. Yeah. If, if determined is like yeah, intense, then it's probably me. Yeah. Right. Who's the biggest practical joker in the squad? Jack. Fair. <laughs> Who's the most clumsy? Uh. Probably also Jack. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, I like the thought of him setting up a prank and then falling into it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Who's who loves the night out the most? Also, Jack. <laughs> Jack, you're coming on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and if your team's Scotland, we're going out in Edinburgh. Fuck the podcast, we're going out. Yeah, like, got... he doesn't need a second invitation. So. Oh, he's probably been in. We've probably been in many of the same nightclubs and not seen each other for various different reasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Who's got the worst fashion sense? Like, who's got the most outrageous fashion sense? Uh, ooh. I don't know. Everyone's kind of gone the same way. I was yeah, going to say, you, like, you are with like the same tracks. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, we, as I said, we've already got limited options. So, yeah, it's a, it's a collective team on that front, yeah. Collective group of weirdly dressed cyclists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, like you could have just said light dress, opposed to the vast yeah, majority. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah, like an actual workwear is <laughs> awful. Mate, to be fair, it's those things look warm. Like, there's not a lot of room for the cold to get in. <laughs> Who's the best dancer in the squad on a night out? You can't say Jack because I already know he's the one on the night out. Uh, I'll go with Ali. <laughs> fair, great answer. Yeah. Who's the future coach? And you can't say Jason because he's now become the coach. But who's when you look at the team, you think, oh, you could, you could be the coach. Uh, I think Joe, he's already doing some coaching along yeah. um, with some younger athletes and stuff. I think he's probably would have an interest in that. Nice. Who is hard as nails? Like, who's somebody that you think, for the first time ever, if the velodrome develops into a fist fight, I want him stood behind me? None of us. <laughs> Honestly. None You're on the us. legs, you lot. You need to start performing like roundhouse kicks. Uh, there, there was Phil. <laughs> there was Phil, who's left now. Probably Phil. <laughs> he used to have a thing like, if you wound him up enough, he'd say, one punch, mate, I kill you. And, like, in his slightly German accent. And yeah, it would hundred like, yeah, just because I get just be like a rabid dog in a fight, I think. So awesome. yeah, you want, you want somebody that you don't know what they're, where their end point is in a fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where is his limit? Right. Who was, right. This one's a bit of a, dif a difficult one in a way to explain, but who's got the most natural talent that you've ever seen so not necessarily the greatest cyclist you've ever seen, but who's the one that sort of came onto the track and you thought, this kid's got it? Um, I mean, it's it's probably an obvious answer, but it would be Jason on that front. Yeah. Jason or Phil. Um, I, think, I think that's a fair answer to me. Jay, Jason like, seems to be able to just pick things up, like anything, mm -hmm. and learn it really quickly. 
Um, he's he's so diverse as well with the stuff he can do on a velodrome. And then and then feel like it just freakishly strong. Like there's mm-hmm. things that he could kind of do that no nobody else could do. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably put those two up there. Oh, class! That sounds perfect. I would definitely give you Jason. Ke- Jason Kenny is allowed as an acceptable answer. <laughs> I think I think there'd be bigger controversy if you didn't say him, and then everybody went, "Hold on." <laughs> yeah, no, nah, like he, he makes most things sort of athletic look pretty easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who is the most gullible in the squad? Me. Really, just fall for anything. I, yeah, I don't want just like the last last person for the penny to drop with certain things. <laughs> Um, there's nothing wrong with that yeah probably me yeah that normally means you care the most that's what i've read somewhere if you're gullible, <laughs> apparently you care right who is oh we're on to the last we're on to the last two so we'll get you we'll get this and get you out of here who is most likely to order a plain meal at nando's who can't handle their spice uh ali we just had this conversation earlier like is <laughs> like death row meal would be like a ham and cheese sandwich oh, <laughs> ham, ham and cheese sandwich bottle of water and ready sort of crisps maybe, from maybe some vanilla ice cream or something like that <laughs> if he's still brave and lastly who's the one that's most likely to hog the mirror post event who knows he's got a big game of you sky sports or bbc coming up who's most likely to hog the mirror and get their hair looking nice none of us get a mirror <laughs> like that would have, like <laughs> I'd have to caveat that answer. We literally get like, we're straight like helmets off, sweaty and anything, and then like there's someone ushering us straight to the podium. And you don't get a chance. No, don't no. get. No, is there nobody like trying to check themselves in the reflective floor? Like, does that look okay? You, you just have to go blind. <laughs> and we're, like, every, I love the thought of you like, stood there for the national anthem, no, going, I, "I hope I look nice right now." <laughs> yeah, genuinely the. The Olympic podium, we had to go, we got shuffled down into this prep room because we had, it was one of the few events, normally we just go up in the Lycra, but this was one of the yeah. few events where you have a podium suit to get changed into. Right. And we got taken down there and our, um, like whoever's responsibility it was to bring down the podium tracksuits just never came. So we were having like these Japanese policemen were just shouting at us, like you, the TV schedule, the TV schedule and everything and like screaming at us like you need to get your change and we're like we don't like we don't have anything it was completely helpless uh so yeah completely lost our call before we went up for like you know you're in front of quite a lot of people <laughs> i love the thought that, that was the most difficult part of your day <laughs> winning a silver medal is like trying to get changed for the podium well that's the bit that you prepared for like you don't really think about what happens afterwards like you don't you don't dare think about what happens afterwards so. that's good well there we go. You have su- successfully passed under the team bus, Ryan. So you have now got the final question and you can get on your way and enjoy your special activities in Mallorca. That sounds a lot more sensible than it was. You can enjoy training in Mallorca. <laughs> he's, he's secretly a secret agent. He does nothing to do with cycling. He just looks the part. <laughs> right. I gave you the answer beforehand. It's the only one guest get pre like a, a chance to work for. Your three yeah. cheesy pop songs to get the team ready for a night out. What are they? Right. So... I kind of um I I tried to think about what the uh what the team do on race day. Um right. uh, we've we've got different songs that all have a story. The you're often like race day, you're pretty nervous, you get down. Um mm-hmm. one of the things we started doing, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, yeah. We I get, down, exactly to, we get down to breakfast on race day and we do the Matthew McConaughey um like humming <laughs> song with the yeah, beat in the chest. And that, like the whole table would just start doing it. <laughs> like that—that's that's probably the first one that we get on. Like just the clip of that. Right. Um, the Captain Jack Sparrow's coming song from Pirate, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean as well. Um, like just the theme song from that. Yeah, um, just the theme song from Pirates of the Caribbean. We have um big speaker system in the gym, and our gym coach, like like he's just he's actually just moved on, but he uh, used to love us to take it seriously, <laughs> but like. <laughs> We'd always unplug his phone, put the iPod in, and put um, that song on, and he just hated it. Like, wherever he would be in the building, he'd somehow find his way to the gym to turn it off again. So that's, like, a team favourite. And then, um, yeah, there's 
so Jack and Ali between them seem to find like the most dreadful SoundCloud remixes of what is it with SoundCloud? Man? It was making a it's making a horrible comeback in resurgence. Yeah, oh, like <laughs> I, I sometimes come in the gym and I just have to sit in the car after two hours in there and just sit in silence, just staring into the distance <laughs> before I can bring myself to drive home because some of the stuff I've heard. Um, yeah, there's like Nickelback remixes and everything on SoundCloud. Uh, so it'd probably be something like that. And that would really get the party started before before they went out. So. I like that. I like yeah. that. Pirates of the Caribbean, SoundCloud, and the team chant. <laughs> People might think you're a rugby team if you keep this up. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, I was about to say, it's probably not that different. There's definitely differences, but yeah. yeah you, guys, you guys take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Ryan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Where can they follow you on social media to keep up to date with everything? Ryan, uh, yeah, no, uh, it would be Instagram is the main one I use. So, so Ryan underscore Owens nineteen ninety five. Um, Twitter is Ryan Owens zero. Ryan Owens and Ryan Owens one were taken, so that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the best bet left. Um, yeah, they're probably the best places to go. Um, so yeah. Perfect. Mate, thanks for having me, Sam. That was like that was a great laugh. So, mate, you. I really enjoyed that. I'll fire through the outro, and then we'll have a proper goodbye, and then I'll let you get on your way. Right, yeah. folks. As I've just said, that is the end of the podcast. No surprises here. Thank you so much to Ryan for coming on, guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you guys make this podcast what it was. It started out with just some kids trying to pass his time in lockdown, and now I'm getting Olympic athletes telling me what the why they shave their legs. Doesn't get much better than that, as usual. Likes, comments, subscriptions, everything helps, makes the podcast go further. I'm doing this all off my own back. I just want to do it for fun. I'm not interested in making money. So any way you can help check the podcast out, it helps me, helps us get better guests, helps us keep it going. These guys love it more than that. Ryan said it himself. He gets to have a bit of a laugh. He gets to talk about stuff that's a bit silly for once, and he's not got Jill Douglas asking him proper athlete questions. So as usual, all constructive feedback. I love it. I liked hearing how I can make the podcast better. If you're trying to be mean, at least make it funny on social media. That way I can retweet and steal some likes off you that way. So that's how we do. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you again next week for another episode. Thank you very much. Bye.